Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Nick, some fantastic news. The Can We Please Talk podcast is now available on Amazon Music. That's great. So we got Amazon, Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher. Nick, 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 not this again, huh? Look, folks, the Can We Please Talk podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. It's that simple. But don't forget about the Patreon page, Mike. Tell them about it. Yeah, well, I, I didn't forget about it. That's right, folks. You want to hear more exclusive content from not only our show, but from the guests we have on our show. You want to purchase some merchandise from the show. Head to the show notes or our, our series page. Click on the Patreon link and become a member of our Patreon page. So does that make it then? Can we please talk reckless? <laughs> we sure can. The people will find out, man. Subscribe today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. It's still looking sharp. I'm Nick Severi. Oh, come on. All right. You know what, folks? He is looking. I I can't deny it for much longer. Nick Severi has stepped up his wardrobe game. For those of you watching on video on YouTube, you are blessed again. For those of you on audio, um, maybe you'll play for the Patreon and see (laughs) what Nick is wearing. Um, Nick, my friend, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Life is good. Family's doing well. We got all kinds of stuff happening at the house. We're, you know, just enjoying our enjoying our time. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. You know, a lot of people don't know this. I, I, I record from Florida. You're out in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and I'm going to be, whatchamacallit, heading back to the New York area soon. So we'll be recording from there. Uh, some quick uh, updates, housekeeping stuff on the show. Folks, we thank you so much for listening and watching. You know, over 20,000 views on YouTube. We've got over... 
3,000 listeners out there uh, on the audio platforms. Yep. And we're live now on Amazon Music. So if you type in Can We Please Talk, you can search for our podcast. And also, we want to announce that you can head to our Patreon page and check out exclusive content from this episode. Nick's making the the big eye face, you know, like you would see in the cartoons. Uh, (laughs) But yes, you can head to our patreon page go into the episode notes if you're on youtube you can click on it it's right there on the on the home page of our show and in there you're going to find exclusive content for a small low fee you're going to get exclusive show merchandise okay with me and nick's face on it okay i promise that my face will be featured more than nick's and you're gonna no no don't don't make it don't make a face nick it is fair i've had and, a turn around my well there's that's that but <laughs> and and we're and not only that so each week we're going to have exclusive content that's going to live on our patreon page uh our guest is going to give us some more insight and also we're going to feature a segment nick and i for the patreon listeners so check everything that we're doing out over there um as we transition into the topic for today because i think t- today's topic is something nick you and i've wanted to talk about for a while and it's the world of college athletics we did news uh last week with ellie honig and all the legal news going around the world excuse me around the united states but uh you know the the backdrop in the sports world is the ncaa march madness tournament is happening right and the men's and women's championships uh, and before the tournament started, right, there was some outrage about the women's facilities and how they weren't up to par to the men's, right? Hashtags that were trending before the men's tournament got underway. A lot of a lot of prominent players, including one of Rutgers' own Geo Baker, uh, wearing these shirts, hashtag not NCAA property. And that got trending on Twitter, really talking about not being able to profit on their likeness. And there's so much to this conversation of college amateurism should we be paying these kids or is a scholarship enough to cover what it is that uh, they're going to be doing for the school and so we want to have somebody on to talk about that and nobody better in my opinion than former usc and Pitt quarterback max brown who just recently finished at Pitt in back in 2017. Uh, max has a fantastic story you know top high school recruit out of the seattle washington area and you know had his pick of schools to go to and so we can talk about the recruiting process, what that looks like. But Max chose USC, you know, started a few games there. Uh, the emotions of the fans wanting him to be replaced by the backup. You know, that's that's a, an episode in itself of, of fan reaction to a player, especially a college kid. Uh, transfers to the University of Pitt after a few years at USC. Finally kind of gets going there, but then has a, a major injury and a season ending injury at the time. And so... What does that look like now for an athlete that went into school thinking, I'm going to go to the NFL, and really the percentages don't play out in your favor as a former NCF. So now what? I've got my education, but is it an education that I can take with me and transfer those skills uh, out into the workplace? So we're going to talk to Max about all of that today and college amateurism overall. And Nick, I know you've been wanting to talk about this topic for a while. I just can't wait to talk to Max about this, man. Yeah, the timing of it's great. I mean, we've got the men's basketball tournament, you know, NCAA coming upon us. You know, the women's game is going on right now. Um, you know, we're seeing that controversy. And it seems like that controversy comes up this time of year, just throughout the year. You know, recently we know NCAA football, the video game is coming back through EA Sports. Um, but right off the bat, the question was, are we paying players? 
Right. Um, and, you know, there have been legal cases, obviously, you know, most notably um, Ed O'Bannon's case against the NCAA as it relates to likeness and being able to um, make money on that. And states right. are starting to have laws put into place to allow players, you know, on their own to make money off their likeness. Uh, but still across the across the games, you know, we still hear that con- that that at the end of the day it comes down to is compensation enough if it's paying for your education as opposed to not referencing the fact that we're talking about billion dollar television deals for some of these sports right um it's not, a, it's it's not a clean cut issue i do tend to lean on the side of compensating players that's just my opinion about it but uh, beyond you know what they're getting academically uh, right. but there's nuance to it i think max brings that conversation to light even in further detail today yeah, no, I think Max is going to shed light on that because even as you were saying that, you know, there is stipends for certain states where certain players will get more money. If, like, for example, a Penn State player would get more in his stipend than a Rutgers player in New Jersey would get. So even that disparity right there. But um, you mentioned about states that are enacting law. California has a new law that went into effect to pay that players can profit off of their likeness, um, not necessarily meaning the school's paying them. But it means that they can now go out and profit off of their likeness. Uh, there's just so much intricacies in those NCAA rules. Some of them are archaic. Uh, some of them, you know, maybe they're justifiable. We're going to find out all of that later today uh, with Max. Can't wait to talk to him. All right, Nick, like we teased at the top, uh, I found this guy through a LinkedIn post and I was like, I need to talk to this guy. He's a former USC and Pitt quarterback. He's a college football analyst. You can check out all his work on his YouTube channel. Just type in Max Brown and that is former quarterback Max Brown. Max, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping out with us today. Mike, Nick, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's cool. It's the the power of social media, I guess, that we uh, got linked up. I did a project this past weekend and someone found a, a post I did on Twitter. So, right. hey, people need motivation to put out content. I guess uh, there it is. Yeah. Well, listen, your story is fascinating. So let, I want to get into it before we get into the topic like I talked about off air, which was college amateurism overall. So tell people a little bit about your story because you were a big time recruit out of the Seattle, uh, Washington area. So tell us a little bit about um, what football looked like for you from a high school and a recruitment process at some of these big schools. Yeah, so like you alluded to, I was the number one quarterback in the country back in the class of 2013. So for people that have uh, no idea who, who I am, I mean, that was the class of Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. And obviously, all those guys are household names now. But once upon a time, this uh, skinny guy on the camera in front of you was uh, getting offers uh, over those dudes. And um, it was, it, first off, it was a true blessing. I mean, I always say growing, growing up, I had a, a fairy tale childhood. I mean, I was living the dream of any guy that goes out there on, on recess, wants to be the quarterback, wants to be the best quarterback. And then fast forward at 17, I was, I was the top dude and had a lot of opportunity. And it's a result of awesome high school teammates and, and did some things there. But in terms of your specific question about my recruitment, I mean, uh, I always date it back to the movie, The Blind Side, when you see uh, Michael Orr and all those coaches kind of coming in your kitchen. That wasn't too far off. Obviously, the movie uh, glorifies it a little bit, but I can remember coming out of art class to a, uh, a phone call from Nick Saban. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I remember flying down to Norman, Oklahoma, and getting picked up in a pink Mercedes by Bob Stoops. I can remember uh, 
I mean, I got my first college offer the weekend after my uh, freshman year of high school, uh, which is like looking back is crazy uh, in terms of being that young and kind of already thinking about college. But when you're in it, uh, since I was five years old, I always wanted to be or when I was a five year, when I was five years old, my goal was to win a state title for my high school team. That was always kind of the goal. But as I got older, older, I was like, I want to be an NFL quarterback. And when you're in it, I was an intense kid. I was a motivated kid. So this was just kind of all part of the plan. And so I wouldn't say it was overwhelming or anything like that, but uh, it obviously was uh, an amazing time, amazing experience and something I'll always uh, cherish for sure. You know, during your time at USC, Obviously, you also played a pit as well. So you went through that transfer process. One thing we like to do on the show is just hear from people, just the reality of stuff, you know, things that we talk on the outside that quite honestly, none of us have any business to talk about. But Max, you can speak about that as someone who gone through that experience. What does it mean to transfer? Uh, and what does that do for you as a player? And what is that experience moving from one program at, at SC to over, over at Pitt? Yeah, I think it's an, it's an interesting topic because being a recruit in the class of 2013, I always describe my recruiting era as kind of 2013 is the, 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 the fork in the road, so to speak. Anyone younger than me, social media was a pivotal part of their recruitment. And the transfer portal had then become a thing when they got into college. Anyone older than me, social media really wasn't a huge part of, of recruiting. I remember my sophomore year of high school, putting DVDs in envelopes and sending them out to coaches. And I remember my junior year sending a huddle link online. So I literally was in the, the crossroads of that. And I say all that because the transferring landscape has changed. Uh, and I felt when I, when I transferred, there was no transfer portal. It operated the same way. And that's one thing people don't really realize. It still operated the same way. My name still got on an email blast to every school that I was allowed to contact. Uh, now it's more of a formal, you're in the portal they have uh, employees have uh, or schools have employees that access that portal and it's a whole system in place, but it operated the same way. And uh, I think one thing I know when I entered school, transferring was taboo. It was something that, Hey, you don't want to be a transfer. If you transferred in some regards, that kind of meant you failed or you didn't get it done. And I know I might be being a little harsh, but that's how I was wired. Nowadays, it feels like everyone's transferring. I mean, I watched the sweet 16 games last night and the, every, every starter is damn near a transfer. And so I feel like that's one thing, love it or hate it when it comes to transferring, that, that uh, negative connotation certainly has been lifted. But for me, it gave me one last hope to chase an NFL dream. Um, obviously, I got beat out at USC, which is why I transferred. So it gave me an opportunity. And uh, today I'm always pro player in terms of Fans forget these guys only get one go at it. And as a fan, you kind of get used to the next recruit and the next cycle and all that. But when you're in it, you only get one shot, four or five years. That's it. So uh, if guys are trying to make the most of their opportunity, I got no, uh, no problem with that. You mentioned that, you know, the, the perception of the transfer portal or transferring, you know, for players of a previous generation. And I'll include you on just because of like sort of your emotional reaction to that, to what's going on now. But from the standpoint of coaches and schools, has the perception changed? Is there more acceptance of transfers or do you still feel that culturally schools are a little bit more or, or, and coaches are a little more old school and they view players a certain way for those who've transferred? I think there's both, right? I think the issue just become more, more uh, polarized, I guess is the best way to put it. If before transferring was just a small factor of the game and it was kind of an afterthought for the most part, maybe you pick up one guy, maybe you lose one guy. 
now it is a cornerstone piece of how you need to operate your college roster. And I think there's some players and even coaches that are more um, lenient towards it or more inviting towards it. Even the head coaches at USC are a perfect example. Clay Helton is more of the mindset of, hey, this is just part of the new school age of football. Guys can go into the portal. Guys can leave the portal. Andy Enfield, their head basketball coach, all five starters are transfers, or at least like four of the five starters are. That's one way of thinking about it. Other way of thinking about it is more, this is the worst thing ever. It's ruining college football. It's ruining the, the, the beauty of the game. It becomes harder to manage your roster. And there's truth to both sides. And uh, yeah, like I said, I can see both sides. I think it's just definitely kind of a, however you, uh, however you're wired. Uh, I don't think there's one right or wrong. It's just become more, more, uh, more, more polarized. Well, let's stay on that because I think people, our, our audience may not be familiar with coaches can leave and go where, whenever they please, but players that wanted to play for that coach can't leave. And this transfer process is the only way. Can you explain to our audience, almost like a moment of literacy to take Nick's phrase, what that means? For, because players really have to stay there or at least try to apply for a hardship waiver to go to another school. Like, can you take our fans through that process? Because that happened directly to you at USC with your OC leaving and you were, and you're stuck. So take, take us through that mindset of what it's like for an athlete, seeing a coach leave that you gave yourself four years for, and now you're kind of stuck. Totally. It's a good point. I mean, the reality is a huge piece of recruiting is I'm going to this school to play for this guy. And when you're being recruited, everyone kind of warns you of, Hey, don't go to a school just for a coach. Cause you could always leave. But the reality is we're all human beings and you're, that's going to be a factor when you go to a coach. I played for, uh, for five head coaches. So learned that firsthand. And it's just this double standard, I guess you could say, of when you're a student athlete, you sign on to campus and you're locked into that school versus the coaches who are making millions of dollars off the student athletes. Some of it's warranted. Some of it's probably inflated more than it maybe should be. Um, but then they can go and, and get the next job or they can get fired and leave and a new coach comes in and it's just a lot of money being flown around at the I guess I'll say expense of the athletes, but I guess more so it's just that the athletes have no leverage. And that's another thing that I speak on a bunch now in terms of, Hey, I was a grad transfer. I got done with my degree quickly. That gives you leverage in terms of being able to go to another school without penalty. But to your point, at the end of the day, it's just this double standard that's at play in terms of coaches are making millions and millions of dollars off these student athletes, yet they can, get fired, they can get hired, they can go chase the next job with no penalty or no repercussions to the student athlete. And it's just kind of the hand you're dealt with no control uh, and uh, from a student athlete's point of view. Well, yeah, well, let me ask you just to stay on that. What do you think is a way to alleviate that? Should there be some type of penalty to coaches that are, you know, I always think of the Rich Rodriguez you know, from for people that don't remember the former West Virginia coach that then went, you know, went to Michigan, Arizona. Um, like there's so many different coaches that have bounced around like that. What do you think is a, is a, a way to have a deterrent for coaches to not do that? Because remember, coaches are older than the athletes. So it's like, hey, you're the adult here. You should. But but they're trying to advance their career. Like you said, they're human. Totally. I think the, the, the first area is definitely when you recruit being reminded of exactly what I just said in terms of and it's not a tangible thing necessarily but it is the idea of hey if you go to this school the coach could leave and that has to be part of your decision so many times you see guys 
make a decision. Hey, I'm following this coach and they do it kind of blindly. And so it's preaching that message, but I know that's tough. And I know that it's especially tough for an 18 year old kid. I think the flip side of that is, is having that one-time exception rule, which it feels like they've eased up on a little bit in terms of allowing guys to do that, but it's, it's harder to do with some of the smaller sports. I mean, transferring certainly more common in football because there's more money at play, but it's a lot harder with some of the other sports in, in terms of uprooting your entire life, but having the ability for guys to transfer if their head coach leaves early on without that penalty, I think that's a big factor and uh, something that really doesn't hurt either side. To me, it, it's a pro sure it hurts a new coach coming in, but that's kind of part of the job that you sign up for. So for me, easing up on the transfer restrictions if your head coach leaves for whether it's true freshman redshirt freshman kind of thing some of those youngster young young guys that haven't really laid roots at a specific school the ability for them to uh, to leave if they want to i'm good with that you know moving through the time a little bit you know let's take let's get to you know max outside of college so like any student or any athlete playing in a prominent program the goal at least in college football is to get to the nfl max Obviously, that that wasn't the path for you. You went in a different direction. Can you tell us some more and more about that experience? Yeah, it's a huge part of my story to this day. And you guys came across a, a LinkedIn amateur post, but a lot of people come across posts that I share about, hey, not making it and not living up to expectations. And the reality is uh, it's not a, not a fun topic to necessarily talk about. And I think that's why people don't. But that's kind of where I feel like I can serve a niche to people that can relate to that message, whether it is athletics or whether it comes to school or the profession or living up to their parents' expectation or whatever it might be. For me, like, like we said in the intro, I was supposed to be the next Peyton Manning. That was kind of my recruiting uh, headline, I guess you could say. And obviously that didn't happen. And I, I look back on my career and I didn't get it done first and foremost, but I also look back and I did some things that, I should have put myself in the position to have success and, and, and go down those paths. And it didn't happen. It's not necessarily anything I didn't do or did do or anything like that. It's just kind of how the cr cookie crumbled. And so share messages on that. Um, it, it really kind of lights my heart on fire. And it's been in terms of I'm 26 right now. I hung up the cleats uh, in February of 2019. So just two years ago. And the last time I threw a competitive football was in the fall of 2017. So it's been about three years and I'm still figuring it out now. I just made a career change myself and um, trying to relate to people that don't have it all figured out, had a life planned and got uprooted. That's, uh, that's a big part of kind of what I'm about now. And, and certainly not making it was tough. I kind of gloss over that a little bit. But uh, when you have these goals, you work for these goals and it doesn't necessarily happen, that, uh, that fall, especially in this interconnected social media world that we live in, where everything's out there for the world to see, we talk about recruiting as well. Guys are getting recruited at younger and younger ages. Expectations only become more and more. That fall, uh, fall from grace or whatever the term is can be, uh, can be a lot harder now than where it was 20 years ago. And hopefully uh, I can shed some, some light on that a little bit going going past football took an interesting turn you know um a recent st a story from si.com for anyone who's checked it out speaks to just you having a chance meal with gary vanderchuk obviously uh we're all familiar with gary's work you know opening a wine library now running a media company um can you tell us about just how that sh how that uh encounter happened and what was the just the outcome of it in terms of just for you both professionally and personally 
super cool story of how that ha- happened. I uh, was sitting in my kitchen in the fall of 2018. In the mornings, I would train and throw and try to make a run at the NFL. In the afternoons, I'd like make YouTube videos. And that's kind of how I started my broadcasting career. And when I realized, hey, I was on my last leg with, with football, I picked up the phone and called Sam Darnold, uh, the guy who beat me out. He's, uh, for people I don't know, starting quarterback for the NFL Jets, uh, or for the New York Jets, excuse me, in the NFL. And uh, on paper, he's the guy that took my job. He's the guy that's kind of living, in some respects, like the life that I like should have lived, however you want to net that out. And so I picked up the phone. He's a buddy of mine and put my pride aside and said, hey, can you help me out? And uh, I know Gary, for those that don't know, Gary is a big Jets fan. And obviously, Sam being the Jets quarterback said, hey, can you uh, shoot Gary a message? If there's any chance that I could work for him and make that happen, I'd be willing to do it for minimum wage. Just really like what Gary's about. Feel like it'd be a great learning experience. I'd done some marketing work uh, when I, during my time at Pitt. So it felt like a good first step in, in, in the, to the ability to experience New York and whatnot. And so Long story short, that intro from Sam uh, garnered an opportunity, and the, the rest is history. I worked for Gary for a year. I uh, was part of his personal content team, was a channel manager is what we called it, uh, and was able to learn the ins and outs of content and kind of this social media world that uh, that we're living in. What was you know, what was that expand mind expansion for you? Like you come out of that, you know, experience at a college program and then you're here with someone that, you know, again, like just the three of us all can point to Gary as uh, just an interesting fellow people that widely know him. Uh, what was that? What did working with Gary sort of expand for you in terms of your understanding of marketing and, and just being in the business world? Yeah, I think for the rest of my life in, in business, I'll always try to look at things through a content lens or how can content play a role in what I'm doing. And it's really cool because like we talked about, I wasn't sure if it's off air or on air, but I just entered the uh, commercial real estate industry, which relatively speaking is slow to roll when it comes to social media and adopting some of those principles versus if Gary's kind of the, the cutting edge, the, the guy that's leading the charge. When you talk about le- thought leaders in the commercial real estate space, they're kind of slow to roll with that. And so from my vantage point, there could be opportunity to make things happen. And so for the rest of my career, I'll always be kind of looking at, hey, how can I use content in the 2021 world that we're living in to kind of leverage uh, my professional career? And that first and foremost, always be front of mind. But other things like, I mean, Gary preaches being efficient in meetings and how can you cut a 40 minute meeting down to 18 minutes and being uh, efficient and Um, I always see my professional life, me being involved in different lanes, as I like to say. So I have the broadcasting lane, I have the real estate lane, I have the content lane or whatever you want to say. And I think I and all the guys I look up to have multiple irons in the fire, so to speak. And I think that uh, that definitely uh, calls me a little bit. And I think that leads to a fulfilling professional life. And that's definitely something I'll uh, take a page out of Gary's book on uh, moving forward. You know, the uh, NCAA tournament, obviously, you alluded to it before about USC. Uh, we're both Rutgers guys, Nick and I, so our team was eliminated around the 32. But uh, the conversation always around this time, especially with March Madness and how much money March Madness brings in is, should the payers, should the players be paid, right? And I saw a video that you had put on, on I believe it was LinkedIn or some social site talking about uh, that you got a scholarship. So that's pretty much the cost of the education 
But then there's the debate of, should Max Brown have been paid? You know, he's the starting quarterback at USC. Where do you net out on that debate? Yeah, obviously a lot to unpack. I think I, it's easier to explain where I net out when it's not talking about myself. So take, let's take the other five-star recruit in my class. Those guys, they also didn't make it to the NFL, or some of them didn't. We had like five five-star guys. Four of the guys didn't make it to the NFL. But at one point in time, there are coaches making millions off of those guys for signing those guys and bringing them in as a recruiting class. And maybe they were great college players and they able to make money that way. Yet when they're done with football at 23, 24, 25, there's nothing in their bank account to show for it. And I'm fortunate enough to have people around me. I was fortunate enough to take the steps in college to be able to rebound when my sport didn't work out. But there are guys that that rebound never happens. They don't have that adjustment field or it's much, much more difficult. And so you look back on their path and there were these big five-star recruits that recruiting sites were making money off of, camps were making money off of, athletic departments were able to sell their jerseys and make money off of, yet they really do not have a ton to show for. Yes, they have a piece of paper with a degree in hand, but as so many of us know, that isn't always a golden ticket necessarily in terms of lining up a job and making things happen. And so I'm definitely in the camp that athletes should be paid. I'm more in the camp of they should own their image and likeness. And for those that don't know the technical terminology, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're just getting a blank check in their mailbox every single week kind of thing, because that becomes really tough for a school like Rutgers versus USC that might not have the, the funding or the finances, or maybe even Rutgers isn't the best example, but a school even smaller than that. And so by giving players their likeness, it allows Max Brown to go run a camp on his own merits and get money for Max Brown quarterback camp. Just like it, it, it allows my girlfriend who was a volleyball player at USC and has a, it was probably a bigger uh, audience than me. She can go do Victoria Garrick, a libero camp at her hometown and collect money that way. And there's no title nine issues. Don't get me wrong. More guys will probably get more uh, money than girls just by the platforms, but there's no direct uh, title nine issue. It's up to you to, to get the, the, the funds that, uh, that you can market for yourself. And I think guys would get really creative with it. I've always said players going to kids' birthday parties or restaurants paying for the linemen to come eat and fans watch or something like that. Guys would get creative with it, but it's the image and likeness owning that, that I think is the, uh, the path for student athletes to get paid. So, so let's talk about that because obviously California passed some legislation on that. Um, how much do you think that legislative bodies or States will pressure the NCAA or do you see that uh, coming to a head? Because obviously that's got until 2023 where a decision has to be made. If, if other states are going to follow suit, I think the NCAA has taken a hard stance and say California schools will not be allowed to participate in NCAA events, which is <laughs> asinine. But what, what do you th make of that? It's tough because so much has happened in our world in the last 12 months. And what I mean by that is like, take the state of California. Like there's a lot of like, that was the top story in like January of last year. It was that passing. Well, think about everything that's happened since January of 2020. And so does that movement lose steam a little bit? And when you talk about like these athletic programs, a lot of them are just trying to survive. And you talk about uh, all the implications of COVID and what that meant for the money and 
for schools. USC, they'll be fine, but other schools in the conference, an Oregon State, a Washington State, that my worry is some of these pay the student uh, movements might lose steam as a result of that. I think eventually it will happen. I, I, I would, I would uh, put, stick a flag in the ground on that. But whether that's two years, five years, 10 years, I think it could get dragged out. And I'm, I, I just, we, I've seen this story before that the NCA drags their feet and, and things are just much slower to move than you think. And I think COVID threw a wrench in that, that I, realistic, I think we're probably three, four, five years away when it, in terms of being re- realistic with it, but I am confident that it'll happen uh, at some point. Yeah, in terms of recognition, um, and it's funny you just mentioned a women's athlete in your in your girlfriend. Um, you know, recently we saw the video clip from Sedona Prince over at Oregon. You know, displaying the disparity between access to training equipment for men and women uh, in the NCAA uh, basketball tournament. Um, just just take us through what your thoughts are on that current state and what potentially needs to change. Yeah. That was just an utter lack of awareness more than anything. Like, come on, what are we doing? Like that was the stark contract of both those was inappropriate and excusable, terrible, like any, uh, any word you want to put in there. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a problem. And I dated back to the reason that happened is I'm sure someone on a spreadsheet said, all right, training equipment. Oh, they don't need training equipment during the, 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 the tournament. They're going to be tired and they're going to be uh, busy. And we'll put a couple hundred bucks there, not really realizing what that equates to. And I'm maybe giving them the benefit benefit of the doubt. I don't know, but I'm sure somewhere along the line, it was a dollars and cents thing, which gets back to that whole financing and financial component of the NCAA and how, yes, they're making millions and millions of dollars, but the individual schools might be uh, wary of it a little bit. But to your point, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a huge problem, Nick, for sure. Obviously, there's a discrepancy there. Um, and, and it becomes really tough. I alluded to it earlier with the title nine factor at play with paying athletes that becomes the idea of, Hey, just handing players a, a check that becomes really tough. When you talk about handing the football player, a check versus the women's lacrosse player, a check. The reality is on an economic standpoint, one brings in much more money than the other. And so everyone needs to be uh, uh, treated fairly. When you talk about men versus women, but how does that work when you talk about giving guys a blank check or women a blank check? Much harder to do. And so it needs to be addressed. That's why, to me, I think that owning your likeness is the best way to do that because the star volleyball player at USC, she'll make more money than the starting right tackle at USC. She's just one player, and that's just one example. But I think that's the most fair in terms of all of the, the options I see out there uh, for the NCAA to take. Max, you've been fantastic today. Uh, I want to ask you one last question here. Take us back into the living room. Now there's a 17-year-old Max Brown out there somewhere. He's a five-star recruit. He's got his pick of the litter for college choices. What's a piece of advice you would want to give to that recruit? Yeah, I go more uh, holistic with my answer on that one. I would tell Max to lighten up on yourself, enjoy it more. I look back on, uh, on where I was at, especially as a freshman, a redshirt freshman at USC with the five-star expectations. And uh, in my mind, I was coming in to replace Matt Barkley, who was the big name at the time. And I look back and there's something to be said about being tough on yourself and having that be a motivating factor. But I think at times that worked against me a little bit. And uh, I missed out on some of the fun early on. I had a good time in, in college, but especially early on, 
I would have told 17 year old Max Brown to, Hey, lighten up because nowadays I tell people this all the time might sound crazy, but I'm living my biggest fear. And what I mean by that is if you ask 17 year old Max Brown, my biggest fear would have been football not working out, but the sun comes up the next day, you dust yourself off, you get yourself uh, back up. And even though I'm living kind of the other side of my biggest fear, I'm, it's a privileged thing to say. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, but I say that because uh, it, it's given me a lot of peace and kind of uh, comfort and kind of owning that and uh, living on that other side of kind of what my worst nightmare was, so to speak. That's well said, man. Uh, Max, we really appreciate the time you've given us today. Uh, he's a former USC and pick quarterback. He's a college football analyst. You can check out all of his work on YouTube. Just type in Max Brown. Uh, he's going to sell Nick a house in California now with his commercial real estate license. So. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> so we appreciate everything you've uh, done for us coming on today. And uh, all the best and continued success to you, Max. Nick, Mike, thanks. thank you guys. Appreciate it. That was former USC pit quarterback, Max Brown. I mean, listen, I say it all the time. We say it all the time, but he was fantastic. I mean, you know, like, again, uh, go check out all the work that Max Brown's doing on YouTube. He's a college football analyst for, for Sirius, and, and he does stuff with the stadium. Uh, he's also done some USC radios. Uh, so check out everything that Max is doing. But th it, there's a lot of insight there because, look, to be a big time college football athlete, right? Highly recruited, visible, playing in the Los Angeles media market that is USC, all of this competition, um, you know, it's tough, you know, and he talked about it to us off air and it will be on our Patreon page. So you could check it out there about the pressures of playing in the LA media market. But there's so much about the NCAA and he talks about it a little bit about, you know, there's kind of like a taking advantage of it. Let's 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 call it what it is. You know, we talk about it with our school at Rutgers, but, you know, Greg Shandell's making four million dollars a year to be our head coach. Um, and there's no player on the roster that's equating to any sum of money like that and they can't profit off of their likeness so we talked about it at the top with the hashtag not ncaa property that some of the former uh players were leading before the march madness tournament uh nick what do you make of the topic overall and matt and max yeah max is great um just his his life story you know we we blended the combination we just blended his story on the field and really what life is like off the field and max is max is really vulnerable about the expectations he had set for himself from being a kid to what he hoped his life trajectory would be which was playing professional football unfortunately doesn't happen um but the way his life pivots into this really interesting place professionally is where you know max comes to us and he was just very open about how he felt about that where he is now how he's feeling about that even you know told us about some advice he'd give to himself um you know, as a recruit. So that's awesome. Yeah. No, it is is great. That's great reflection too. Um, like I said, there's so much that we talked about with Max off air. If you want to check it out, folks, we recently launched a Patreon page so you can check it out. Click on, if you're on YouTube, on our Patreon uh, portion of our homepage, you'll see it right there available with all our social links, or you can check out more exclusive content. If you're on our audio listening, check out in the episode notes, you'll see the link to our Patreon page to check out everything that Max told us off air from his relationships uh, with former USC players to one of the craziest recruiting pitches that he got uh, from a coach. So a lot of interesting stuff there. Speaking of interesting stuff online, our show 
is available. You, Nick is pointing down, smashing the subscribe button for our YouTube subscribers. Audio wise, you know the platforms by now and we introed it. We are now available on Amazon Music and Audible and of course, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Downcast, all of them. Uh, check us out social wise on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Can We Please Talk Podcast. Leave us a comment. Leave us a review in the app stores, wherever podcasts are available. As always, I'm Mike Leon. That better be five stars. It's four stars or less. You're a hater. My name is Nick Saveri. That's right. Nick's coming for you, folks. We'll see you next time. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.